A reading from the book of Psalms, chapter 133. A song of ascents of David. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. All right, we will be reading from the book of Acts chapter four, verses 32 through 35. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. A reading from the first letter of John, chapter one, verses one through two, two. Chapter two, verse two. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life that was manifest, that life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just 
to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for the fellowship we have through your son, Jesus Christ, the fellowship we have through your spirit. Cause your word to come alive to us, Lord. Make us a community who not only hears your word, but lives by your word, that continually searches your word in order that we may uh, find out what we're missing and how we're living um, separate from your word. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So we're going to go through the scripture readings just like Teresa read them, Psalm 133, Acts, and then First John. I'll give a little overview. Um, if you've noticed, there's really, I mean, there's a really easy theme going on here uh, in unity. And we're going to, if you look on your outline, we're going to save the gospel reading for Sunday. Since uh, I'll be speaking on Sunday morning and can't do all the scripture readings. And then what am I going to do on Sunday? I'm going to have to think of something and that's a problem. And so anyways, uh, just a little overview this week as in this coming Sunday, is the second week in Easter. And so if you're not familiar with the church calendar, uh, there are seven weeks in Easter. There's going to be seven Sundays in Easter. And then after that, uh, Pentecost. And so, um, man, I must have deleted all my notes in trying to get this printed about, about Easter. And Easter tide. So, anyways, we live in a. Most of us, I would probably say, everyone except for maybe Deanna, um, maybe some of maybe some of the churches John Luke came from that I know of. Uh, we all live in this super evangelical uh, church culture where there's just one week of Easter, mm-hmm. and for the majority of Christians in the world today, uh, that's just not the case. And for the majority of Christians throughout history, that has not been the case. And so. Um, we celebrated Easter Sunday, this last Sunday, but also there's another Easter Sunday coming up, which this year is May 2nd, I think, and that's celebrated by, does anybody know who celebrates Easter on a different day? Same thing with Christmas? Eastern Orthodox, right. And so uh, just to give like a real quick overview of, of the Eastern Orthodox, there are differences in calendars in church calendars and their times and seasons as far as when the days fall in line, um, which has a historical backing. Um, and so I think it's May 2nd. It's May something. It's like the first week of May. Which would, is the second. Is the second is a, if that's a Sunday, that's when the Eastern Orthodox celebrates Easter this year. And they have an Easter tide or an Easter time. And they celebrate. And the reason for those, the two differences is they still follow the Julian calendar, which was in the first couple centuries, and we follow the Gregorian calendar. And so that's the main difference um, 
Well, that's the one of that's half the difference. Of there's a they're following a different um, yearly calendar to decide that date. And the second reason is theological, is because um, has does anybody like uh, you know there's like a big culture today where you don't like something. John Luke tells me something that. Uh, somebody did, and I don't like it, so I say, fake news. <laughs> like, that's fake. Don't believe it. I don't have to. Uh, and so, I don't know, maybe now is a good time for us as a culture to revisit examining, like, source documents or something. Um, and so, uh, one of the reasons why the Eastern Orthodox celebrate Easter later is uh, because they were saying fake news to when we were celebrating uh, Easter, and <laughs> essentially. And so, uh, if you ever, if you ever like to read like source documents, try to find a modern um, translation of the First Council of Nicaea, and that was the very first thing uh, was the Arian controversy that they needed to settle was the heresy, and then the second thing they decided was when are we celebrating Easter. And it was in the Council of Nicaea that they decided two things uh, that led them to choose a what would be the Eastern Orthodox Easter, um, not the Easter that we celebrate, not the same date. Um, and so we actually, in our line of tradition, fall a little bit away from church history, uh, but not that it's something we're trying to correct or need to correct. But anyways, to not get on too much of a tangent. And so in the first council of Nicaea, they met and they were going to decide when is Easter. And they decided that, uh, according to the Gospels, it should be after Passover. And so if you look at the Jewish calendar today, Passover ended on, I think, uh, that Saturday or Sunday, Easter Sunday. Or it was right in the middle. It either ended. But anyways, we celebrated Easter, when the Jews are celebrating Passover, essentially. And uh, the First Council of Nicaea decided that, uh, number one, the Jews, uh, we should not be looking to the Jewish calendar to tell us when we can celebrate Easter, right? They'd be looking, because you'd have to look at the Jewish calendar and say, uh, or the tradition, and since we're going to do it after Passover, then... We have to consult with the Jews and what they're doing to do what we're doing. And they said, uh, we're not going to do that. And also that they believe that the Jews were wrong about when they were celebrating the Passover. Um, and so there was a big dispute on in the 14th day of Nisan, uh, which is when the Passover starts, or when the Passover is celebrated, of were the Jews actually accurate in their calendar dealings? And they decided that they weren't. And so they chose the date that they chose. And so a lot of that has uh, validity. Um, it reminds me of, and so one of the reasons why the Jews wouldn't have an accurate date is because at, at 70 AD with the destruction of the temple and the dispersion of the Jews from there dispersed so much that they don't even have a lineage anymore. You couldn't tell who's a Levite or who's a Benjaminite or, or any tribe anymore because it's so dispersed. Um, there's even such confusion in Judaism today 
where I would believe, um, is anybody familiar with like the Jews in Israel that are, they go to the temple or they go to the, the wall that they believe is the temple and they pray? Uh, I believe they're not praying at the temple wall. I believe that they're praying at a wall that, for the Roman city, which would, uh, if you told a Jew that that was doing that, it'd get really mad because they're the ones that destroyed their city. Uh, but I think there's uh, archaeological evidence for that. I think it's in a different position. And uh, Jesus said that not stone will be left on top of each other when this temple... And I think Jesus was right. And so anyways, that's why the Eastern Orthodox still choose the later date because they based off the first council of Nicaea. And so that's just something to be aware of that there's other traditions that have different dates. There's different Christmas days, uh, different Easter. And um, if I were to do more research, I'd probably find that the Eastern Orthodox, uh, because of their calendar, celebrate other high church days on, on different days. But they're still our brothers and sisters. And so anyways, getting into our scripture readings, let's go to Psalm 133, which lays the precedent for what we're talking about today. And so everyone's probably familiar with this. Uh, Let's just read it like a chiasm. Uh, Verse 1, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. End of verse 3, for there the Lord has commanded the blessings, life forevermore. And so what's in the middle? I don't know, some meat, something. Um, uh, and this, this, is actually a, this is actually a wrap, so the, maybe a, an outside wrap. So the meat's on the outside and the, the vegetables, the other stuff that you, you kind of want to pick around is in the middle. Um, but it's, it's about uni, how when... Uh, when brothers dwell in unity, about being unified. And if you were to, um, we're going to get into this when we look at the book of Acts, and we're kind of just kind of transitioning there quickly, is if you look at the whole Old Testament, nobody's living in unity. Nobody's doing a good job uh, ever since, like, you know, Adam and Eve. Uh, They did an okay job for a little bit, and then they started blaming each other and, there was quarrels, and then their children killed each other, and that wasn't too unified. And uh, it all breaks loose after there. And so the Lord's saying that it's uh, from there the Lord has commanded blessing, or commanded the blessing, life forever, for, forevermore. And this psalm gives kind of like an overarching uh, picture. I love the short psalms because it's like, okay, I don't need like 170 verses to tell me something, please just give me like one or two verses and I got it, right? Like I can't, like there's sometimes, you know, when you have to like tell somebody and you tell someone over and over and until they're like, okay, finally I get it, stop it. Just like, I get it, I'll do it or whatever. This is like uh, more my style. Uh, And I don't even remember half the time what's in the middle. I just remember the first and the last verse. And so, um, this is so intricately woven into the meta-narrative of Scripture that it's hard not to read this and like the Lord commands a blessing just through when, when brothers, when sisters, when uh, our spiritual family, when us as a community are dwelling in unity. 
And as we're going to look like in look at in Acts for a historic narrative, and then in John as a imperative, as in commands, uh, what that unity looks like and and what we're commanded to do. But that's where the Lord loves to give blessing. That's where He commands the blessing, and you're not going to really find it anywhere else. Um, and if you're not living in a unified sense with those in your community, then the Lord will not command the blessing which is life forevermore. And the more you live in unity with one another, the more we live in unity with one another, the more life we have. Uh, it was interesting um, reading a short little book uh, by Joel McDermott called How to Read the Bible in 90 Minutes. And it's just a 90-minute synopsis. It it's like a 95-page 90, synopsis of the entirety of Scripture. And he makes the point, it's, it's interesting from his perspective because he studies law, he's looking to become a bona fide lawyer uh, at this present time, and he points out that something I didn't really think about, but I have continuously thought about since I saw this viewpoint, is that the scriptures were given to a group of people to live in society together. And that might sound like, yeah, of course, Stephen, why didn't you think about that? Well, I don't know. I don't think about a lot of things. Um, but to live in, if we're going to use terms like utopia, uh, that would be closer to accurate than, than not of what are our laws and bylaws and how do we act with one another? And that's what Israel was called to do and that's who the church is. Right? That might not be like new to you, but... Uh, but thinking in, in that context of this is like, this is a political book, right? This is polity. This is how we're going to be governed. This is what we do. Um, and so we see that in Acts after the resurrection, uh, the people for the first time in history actually did it. This is the first time uh, that we see an ongoing representation of a unified community uh, living through the power of the resurrection and filled with the Spirit. And so as a hermeneutical principle, um, we should be viewing the book of Acts uh, kind of juxtaposed to all of the narrative of the Old Testament. Uh, juxtaposed not as in that it's opposite or antithetical, but that everything that Israel was called to be and do and failed in doing Acts is our one historical, historic narrative book that we get that shows us how to do it. And so um, if the person that disciples you hasn't said this before, uh, here it is. You should be reading through the book of Acts and seeing how can our church be more like the Christians in the book of Acts. And... Uh, not necessarily Ananias and Sapphira, but the people who are living according to the Lord. All right, that's like a joke. That's like you don't want to be like Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> don't live like them. That's part of the narrative. And so when we get to the book of Acts, uh, we're starting in verse 32. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good calling to strive for, is to be of one heart and soul, as in uh, many of the imperative commands in the New Testament, in the epistles, 
our commands to be of one mind, right? Be like-minded with one another. And so here the people are actually doing it. Um, and there might be a little bit of a disconnect in our way of thinking because here the people are actually doing it, um, but there's obviously people not doing it as churches are getting planted or there wouldn't be an imperative to do it, right? And so uh, sin does creep in. It doesn't um, uh, always stay in the prime time, so to speak. But uh, that's amazing. And so the next thing that they says that they, no one said that uh, anything, any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common, giving each to they had need. And so we're talking about in the first century after Jesus was resurrected, within a few years of his resurrection, in Jerusalem, where they're getting heavily persecuted. And knowing that uh, uh, from Jesus' teachings and what the apostles are teaching uh, and the prophecies that he had, that, the, uh, that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed within 40 years. And they're looking out for that. And the Jews are increasing their persecution of the church. And it's not until chapter um, 7, chapter 8, uh, until they get uh, dispersed, right? And so this should be like a model of like, what are we striving for? We're striving for unity so deep that um, even though we could assert our right to personal property, and the Bible asserts that, that we are willingly laying down what we have for our community, for our brothers and sisters, in, and in this context, in uh, the height of persecution. And uh, they probably had an idea, it doesn't say specifically, but they probably had an idea because they knew Jerusalem was going to get um, destroyed, that uh, they were going to flee at some point. And so they didn't have a whole lot of need to keep their property. They knew that. And so they were willing to sell and give to everybody in need. Um, but that comes after it says that they're all of one heart and one soul. And so that's what we're striving for, right? And so what does that look like? Well, uh, let's take a look at First John. Or let's take a look at some things in First John. It's not going to give us everything in this, these scripture selections. But, so First John 1 through, uh, chapter, verse 1 through, we're we looking at chapter 2, verse 2. Um, so there are some, we're going to look, uh, as we read, we're going to look at the imperatives. So that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. He's speaking about Jesus, right? That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father uh, and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you so that your, our joy may be complete. 
Um, so he's describing the fellowship between the Father and the Son in all eternity who became incarnate, and we had fellowship with him, and then we have fellowship with other believers. Do you guys see how that passes down? Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, right? It's not me speaking. This is God speaking. This is his son, Jesus Christ. That God is light, and in him there is no darkness, right? And so he is laying the precedent for that the fellowship that the Father and the Son have together. There's no darkness. There's no hiding. There's no shame. There's no disunity. They're totally on the same page. And that's the depth of fellowship they have. There's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth, right? So first he relates it to, uh, to the Father, that if we are walking in darkness, we're not actually fellowshipping with God. And he's going to get into, if we're not fellowshipping with God, then we're not fellowshipping with one another. And so, uh, verse 6, if we, uh, I'm sorry, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so uh, it doesn't exactly say what walking in the light is. In verse 9, he talks about confessing our sins, um, which is an aspect of walking in the light. But he's relating it to uh, walking in fellowship with the Lord, right? Walking in light, confessing sins to him, uh, which we'll get into, I guess, here in a second, but, uh, and being in fellowship with the Father. And if we're not in fellowship with the Father, if we walk in darkness and we do not walk in the light, then we can't have fellowship with one another. And so I think there's varying levels of walking in the light. Um, there's obviously like the, confession of sin, and if that was the main way we fellowshiped, you guys all would get like really tired of me telling you all my sins, and I'm like, yeah, and I feel like I just like confess too much too, and I get really ashamed, but I'm really sorry, and I'm going to confess that one to you too, and because now I feel bad, and I'm going to confess that one too. Uh, there's like, there's a certain uh, level of you know, walking in the light with one another, you can actually tell, you know, as we go on about like confessing our sins of, you know, to one another and to the Lord. Um, interesting enough, I was really hoping that this would be a better book, but uh, Rush Dooney's The Cure of Souls was a big letdown uh, because he's totally anti-ecclesiology, so he was actually arguing that we just need to confess our sins to God. And I was like, oh. Come on, Rush. But uh, still a really good book on confession. Um, regardless, uh, he just brushes over some verses, like, like James 5. Um, but anyways, but walking in the light with one another isn't just like confessing sins. It's, it's in such a way that like, it's really uncomfortable if we just stick on like confessing sins to one another. Um, in one sense, where like if I confess a sin to Anvesh, that doesn't affect him. That's probably a little bit easier because I might be shameful or something that I, you know, did this or that sin. But uh, I know Anvesh is like pretty forgiving, and he's gonna 
be okay and it's not going to break fellowship, you know, unless, I don't know, uh, unless I like told him like I stole some curry and that's an unforgivable sin or something and whatever, uh, but it wasn't his. But then there's the confession of sin that needs Anvesh's forgiveness, right? Because it's against him. And that's another level of walking in the light where it's a lot harder to say, oh man, like I got to go to Anvesh and I got to say I'm sorry and I got to actually try to like not do this anymore because I know it hurts him or we break fellowship or something. And it's just really easy to not walk in the light and just continue with our lives and hope that we both forget about it, right? That's not the level of community that they had in the book of Acts, right? Because when we start, you know, on, on varying levels, not walking in the light and feeling like, um, like I felt shame because I can't go to Anvesh because of whatever reason, probably personal reasons or something. And then that actually breaks fellowship with Anvesh and I. And Anvesh didn't do anything, right? There's, and now I'm walking in the darkness more or less because, uh, um, because I feel shame and now I'm not even doing what God would want me to do, which is go to Anvesh, and so that I would receive grace and see that it's not that shameful. Or maybe it is that shameful, but uh, if, if we have an advocate with the Father who's faithful and just to forgive us, why wouldn't Anvesh also forgive us, right? Um, we have that a little bit in our gospel reading in John where um, we'll get into on Sunday, but where Jesus specifically says that if you forgive anyone's sins here on earth, they'll be forgiven in heaven. And so... Uh, we'll wrestle with that on Sunday. And uh, don't be so quick to forgive the politicians just yet. Ah. Ah. <laughs> we'll talk about it on Sunday. But anyways, right, do you guys see the varying degrees of like walking in the light? And there could be ways that, um, and personal hindrances that keep us from actually fellowshipping with one another and keep us from... Um, uh, just being in the light with one another and having the level of community that, that they have in Acts. And sure, I'm, I'm sure some people gave out of compulsion of like, you know, even if Anvesh and I felt like we were disconnected at some point, that if there was a need, I'm sure he would still give or something and still provide monetarily. And we're not disconnected on that level. But we're going for a community that is one heart and one mind. And when we know each other that deeply, then, and then we're getting closer, right? And so, uh, verse 8. Do we do verse 7? Yeah, close enough. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So if anybody feels like in specifically confession, I know for a little bit, like at the condo, we did a uh, confession of sin with our... Um, with our household worship and our devotions, uh, like once a week or something, we did that for a little bit, and 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 we just did that. And that's a if you don't do that regularly, uh, or you're not part of a community or your household or something that does that regularly, it takes some time to get used to that. Like everyone's like, well, yeah, I think I procrastinated this week, and yeah, that's it. That's all. That's all I got. I was just a little. I think I was a little lazy, you know, on Tuesday. 
uh, everyone wants to like inch in to confession. Like let's, <laughs> let's test the waters a little bit and then see how they respond. And then if it's favorable, then I'll do it some more and I'll be really honest, <laughs> right? We all kind of do that. Um, but that's not the, the command is to confess sin. Um, that's part of uh, the cure of souls of Rush Dooney's book. Uh, came from, I can't remember who it was, one of the early church fathers uh, wrote a similar thing, but it wasn't on confession. And, but that's part of like the grace of God in the church, where I've been in uh, innumerable times where I've had to confess sin to another brother in the church, and they say, I forgive you. And since Noel's not here, as, as our relationship goes on, that number that I have to <laughs> apologize and confess continues to grow, <laughs> like exponentially. Uh, and that's what our relationship is like. And, and, but without you know, someone physically saying, I forgive you, or the Lord forgives you, um, it's hard to have any like meat on the bones. And so if we... Say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, right? Um, I'm not advocating that everyone go home into their households and have an hour of confession and whatever. Uh, do that if you want. Or, but it should be regular. There should be some level that we're looking at. How can we walk in the light more and be more unified and of one mind? And what's keeping me from walking in the light? And what's keeping me from living in this level of community? And um, if you think you've got nothing to confess, you're deceived. <laughs> ask, ask somebody else, and they'll tell you. Uh, Teresa's pretty honest. Ask her. You show, she's got a list going. <laughs> she can email it to you, right? Yeah. Uh, in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us, right? Um, the early, uh, in that uh, account in, in Acts, um, there's no context of confession of sin, right? It's just saying that they, they gave to one another, there's a lot of unity, um, there's clearly some power on display. Uh, but Ananias and Sapphira's story isn't far behind that narrative. Uh, who were, that is another level of, they were not walking in the light. They were, and if you actually look at it, it didn't seem that bad. They just didn't say what they totally gave. They fibbed a little bit. God struck them down. And so, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Um, then chapter two, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, uh, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Right? And, okay, so if we don't sin, we're a liar, but he's writing this, so we don't sin, but then are we ever going to not sin? Go back up to verse 9 and 10. No, the answer is no. Right? But these warnings, these... Uh, Part of what it comes in with the narrative of Acts and, and Psalm 33 is these imperatives of confessing sin, walking in the light, having fellowship 
right, is we should be able, you could tell pretty easily where somebody is spiritually with where they are with the community that they're in. That's pretty easy. Uh, I think that first chapter lays it out. And um, that doesn't mean you have to have like a bubbly personality or be an extrovert or anything. That just means that you have to have the level of unity um, and fellowship and, and, and walking in the light uh, uh, that the Bible describes. And that's an indication of where you are with the Lord. Right? And so, uh, last verse, chapter 2, verse 2. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so, um, just tying it back into the book of Acts, in this uh, narrative of the when the believers were living in this type of unity, they were getting numbers added to them day by day by day. Uh, something John Gray said on Sunday, which is a truthism, is that uh, you could evangelize and, and share the gospel and do apologetics until you're blue in the face. But what people want to see, there's no better uh, power and, uh, to convince somebody on display than a changed life, is roughly what he said. And when you do that in community, like we're called to be a society of people who are so close to one another, so unified in one heart and one mind that like the Lord wants to add numbers to us. And when there's division, when there's people walking in darkness, when we're um, not confessing sin and walking in the light, uh, the blessing doesn't come. Because why God doesn't bless what he doesn't want to bless. Right? He doesn't want to grow disunity. He doesn't want to grow uh, darkness. He wants to grow light. And so, uh, with that, let's worship. Let's close in prayer. Uh, Father, make us the community you've called us to be. Uh, cause your spirit to, to change our hearts and minds to be unified so that we walk in the light with one another, that we confess our sins, that we grow in unity, that you'd love to pour out your blessing that you'd love to pour out your spirit on us. Through your son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.